0: That's a big question the first. And A lot of you guys have found a lot more success than anybody in the previous life. in a much shorter amount of time. From all perspective, this one has a few One, the content is much more
1: Jeff
0: you that saying you are not in the Two, is much more. So, you to you yeah. know I yeah.
2: The keyboard or (laughs) not not like to fly.
1: Ugh. That's fucking all. Ooh.
2: I can't figure out what I sound like 'cause I'm wrapped up in cords. Cords everywhere. Yeah? We're on it? Yeah.
0: Okay, you can read the guest call and remember to tell them to call in. Okay. Uh, thank
1: you. Three, four. So do you think I've this no number I remember? Eight five seven nine three seven.
3: The news is a shit show these days. and we're Damn, I really tried to put everybody on. This live broadcast and archive chat room is being hosted by Roshani of the single simulcast.
1: <laughs> Roshani? This live broadcast.
3: Now, yeah, I try to shout everybody out. Okay, wait a fucking call.
0: Then I go back to Baby City Burgers so that I can have some food going into the week. Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> Come on, Chris.
0: I left the cookies and the Doritos by the
3: video game. And I left um, Debbie snacks I got. They're just out. So if you feel like regulating, you regulate, but they're just out there. Okay. Did Thomas bring you your red vines?
2: No. I did not understand.
3: I told him to bring you your red vines. Oh,
2: they were on the um, the, the railing. Yeah.
1: Where
3: I told him to get them from.
0: And he sleeps all day and plays video games all night or something.
3: Hmm. Uh, that's something I think I'd end up doing in like 48-hour intervals. Because I can't be sitting all night and then just sleep all day.
1: Mm.
2: No, nigga, call in. Is this someone we dislike? Not dislike. Were
3: Were they a Chris that was annoying at conferences and whatnot? In Airbnbs?
2: Um, No, that was a different Chris. Nigga,
3: call in oh they really don't understand <laughs>
2: he's
3: like, like but we actually can you have to tell them you have to use your telephone to make a phone call uh, you may actually have to type that sentence. Oh,
2: he's like but we could just face because he wants to see my face because we haven't seen each other and i'm like no i don't care about your face oh calling in
3: now here comes the part we have to say this is not fun time this is work time i don't care what you want to do, again,
2: no, do nigga.
0: <laughs> no stupid hello <laughs>
2: <You don't> either- <laughs> hello Hey, you have to call in that number I sent. It's on the, um, that's where the recording is, yeah, so we can record the audio. Yeah, this is just,
3: okay. yeah, it's the studio okay. line. You need to call them to the studio line so we can get the program done, all right? I'll call
2: right now. Thank
1: right. you. I don't okay.
0: care if I come across, like, i hey, I'll be that. Someone needs to be that. You're like, you guys are, hate to use the D word, but you need the in <laughs>
2: If you, if you don't get
3: that guy, you don't get that immediate response. Hello.
2: Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you?
3: Good. I apologize yeah. in advance because my parakeet is just talking up a storm. So.
2: No, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah, my freaking uh, Zoom—I don't know what's going on with it. It like will not load, and it's pissing me off. But yeah, we can record here at least, and then I like I'll have a copy of the audio. So yeah,
3: perfect. Sorry for yeah. the inconvenience. You know.
2: Oh, no, it's totally fine. No. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. Um, but yeah, so I'm so glad I get to talk to you. I haven't talked to you in forever. I feel like.
3: In a minute, we have our on off text, but we used to talk every like two weeks right yes.
2: So, but, so um, we yes, so it is the keyboard. um yeah, so I thought it would be good um if you know like to talk about what you're doing right now, um sorry, there's like noise on my end <laughs> um to talk about what you're doing right now, especially in terms of your harm reduction, so we can talk about it and put it on the swapcast. Sure. Yeah, you want to just go in? Yeah, let's just go ahead. You can go ahead and introduce yourself.
3: Cool, absolutely. Um, just for clarity, do you just want to know what I do or do you want to know how I got to what I'm doing too? Oh,
2: okay. Um we can do uh actually either way. Honest do we can do both.
3: Cool. We'll let's do both because I think I think how I got there kind of explains why I'm doing it. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, that totally makes sense.
3: Awesome.
2: So um,
3: I have been practicing harm reduction without mm-hmm. the vocabulary for it, you know, since I was probably 16 or so. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was at a rave as a young person, and I was rolling, and DanceSafe was there, and I thought that mm-hmm. was a test ecstasy pill, but I thought that was really interesting. Um, you know, I told friends about that, and we would – you know, create like safety plans. Even though I wasn't using that language, but when we were using party drugs, and um, you know, when I when I became an older person, an adult, no longer a young person, um, I got into nonprofits kind of by accident. Um, I was a bar back at the Lyric Opera, and the, shit, the season ended, and the guy I was dating was with me and my best friend at the time. he's like, oh, to my best friend, he's like, you should join AmeriCorps. Like, you'd be really good at it. There's a public allies program that's, like, social justice-based services, um, which is not anymore. Now it's very ad Um But, like, you know, she was really into it. They were really into it. I was like, well, what the fuck? Like, you know, like, what about me? Like, I could be good at this, and she didn't apply, but I ended up applying, um, and I got the position. It's, like, it's kind of an apprenticeship. but use the word interns for some reason. I think it's, like, you're paid, and
1: this was <laughs>
3: a couple years ago where, okay. you know, it, the interns were never paid. Um, so, anyway, I, I got hired on, and I was working with young folks who were experiencing homelessness that were queer, or trans, or um, somewhere in the middle of those spectrums or an ally, um, And I I was put in the position to work there, which is really a blessing because, you know, um, I I had two felonies when I was younger and going through a lot of things. Getting a job was not easy. I would experienced homelessness as a young person for being kicked out for being queer. Um, And I was able to relate to the young people on a level that truly, like, no one else on staff could. You know, like, they went to Loyola, they had their MSWs, but they didn't know what it was like to sleep in an alley and, like, you know, it's like a dick so you can eat something. Um, where well, like I got that. So there was there was a level of understanding and like anti adultism Um, and no shame that was coming from me in the situations. Um, And as I started that position, I got introduced to Young Women's Empowerment Project, or YWAP, which no longer exists, but was the only harm reduction program specifically for young women, um, trans or or, cis, and non-binary young folks. Of course, my dog's drinking even now. Um, Who were existing or surviving via the sex trade. Um, or, you know, other street economies, like, you know, whatever they needed to do. Um, And they were all harm reduction-based, and they actually ran the only youth-run syringe exchange in the entire country at the time, and I still think ever, uh, which was really awesome. And I learned about, you know, the language used for harm reduction, what harm reduction was, to Shira, who was the executive director and very well-known harm reductionist, very, like, pro-sex work, um, so using on both, like, a level of pleasure, but also, like, as a way to deal with traumas that we might experience intersectional, from intersectionality. Um, so I started practicing harm reduction professionally, I guess, one quote, but at the same time personally um, around 24 on both levels. I've been going deeper into that beyond just, like, my experience of, like party drugs and raves but also you know opioids and um you know masks which like some people use to survive especially in sex work um so they can keep going and stay awake if you're experiencing homelessness um and it just kept kind of evolving right like experiencing and exploring harm reduction as an option in Mm -hmm. sex work um sex which is more usually like mitigated to like conversations of like risk reduction in terms of language right just say harm reduction for everything so do a lot of people that are DIY or street based on the way they're doing this work um, and it just like, kept evolving and the internship apprenticeship ended and I kept bringing the philosophy with me to other spaces um, like I went to disability activism and social services and one of the the columns of the ways um, independent living philosophy works in disability culture is, um, you know, people should be allowed to have the dignity of risk, right? So if you're a person with a disability, like, you should be allowed to mess up. Like, you shouldn't be infantilized. You shouldn't be treated less than. Like, you can mess up, and that's okay. You can learn from that. Um, and harm reduction kind of plays uh, plays a similar role that, like, you're allowed to take a risk. And like, there could be consequences to that risk. Um, and you're allowed to navigate the way that you want to um, engage with whatever activity that is and make whatever choice is best for you in that moment. Um, so I, I was bringing harm reduction philosophy into independent living. And, um, you know, I just kept going with different organizations. Eventually I joined the board of Swap USA, which practices harm reduction is a philosophy in the way that you yep. know they navigate different spaces and supporting sex workers nationally um, i was with them for two and a half years or so i don't know um, more than six months less than three years um, and that was amazing and really gotten more involved in harm reduction professionally because though i was doing it in my day-to-day work um it wasn't the focus, right? And with SWAP, it, it wasn't the main focus, but it was a big piece of it. Um, we did things like provided mini grants for syringe access services to different communities um, that also supported sex workers. Um, and I helped kind of navigate the way that those grants would be administered and folks would apply to them. Um, and it was really exciting to get involved with that heart. In 2020, um, Chicago Recovery Alliance, I might get in trouble for saying all this, had a position open that I applied for, um, and they're kind of like the OG in terms of harm reduction, specifically syringe access and naloxone and Narcan access, not just in Chicago, but nationally through Dan Biggs who's no longer with us. And they're kind of like, they're where you want to go, right? There's a space to go into, Um, at least I thought they were. I didn't get the job, and then two months later, um, the executive director at the time, Brandi Wilson, called me and was like, hey, I've never met you, but I read your resume. I, I see you're in the harm reduction. I see her also come from, like, a sex worker, sex positive space, um, and I'd like to talk to you. She took me on, um, and then three days later she was fired after I was working there um, due to the fact that she was trying to kind of navigate a situation where culturally, like, CRA, Chicago Recovery Alliance, is really valuing the opinions and the longevity of employees that were cis white people. Um, and really, folks of color, queer people, were, and trans people were not given opportunities to move up or rarely even hired. I um, mean, she was kind of trying to, like, fuck that up a little bit and, like, you know, mm-hmm. change that near. But uh, Chicago Recovery Alliance is very set in our ways. and. Um, the board director and the board got together, which honestly was like two people, which is ridiculous for a board for such a big organization. Right. Um, they let oh, go, which was ridiculous. If you need to stop me at any point, please do I have ADHD so I ramble. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so she, she was let go, um, and I was there for like a year and two months without a supervisor. I was the overdose prevention manager. Um, without any direction or constructive criticism, and truly just like really violent people, like emotionally. Um, mm-hmm. I was the only queer person on staff. Um, oh my in god! The beginning, another came on after a while, um, and it it just wasn't it wasn't cute. Like there was mm-hmm. one point where there's a most people had been there for many many years. It was only a staff of like seven eight people, um, mm-hmm. and. The newest person, um, but I also have like the swap um, experience. Um, I was a manager of advocacy for disability work on a local, state, and national level, and a federal level. Um, so like I, you know, I knew my shit. Um, I also was coming to it as like a person that does sex work and a person that does use, which nobody else on the team could do that. Um, everybody was you know post recovery, they're in abstinence, which surely isn't how harm reduction programs should work. Honestly um, though really, right? Like, that's not, there's just, like, levels of, like, like class and access and just philosophy that goes behind that. But, like, I think it's kind of really dangerous um, and creates really uneven levels of the way that folks are going to interact with each other. Um, But, it, just, it got really bad. Like, people, when I say they weren't nice to me, I'm not saying, like, you know, they didn't fly high back to me. I mean, like, folks there were literally screaming at me for nothing um, oh and really violent There was oh. a in, in, like, January that I was there. And this individual who was, like, the daughter of somebody that was a founder who had truly, like, she was a building manager. And I'm not so much sure what that meant. Um, I'm not sure what she even did there except be meeting, but she's Hmm. like, well, I just, the staff meeting, which, keep in mind, there's no executive director, so there's no direction, um, Decides to announce that she just happened to see my HR file, and she thought it was fucked up that I made more money than her, and starts screaming, literally, like, face red, screaming in my face about how I don't deserve that, I didn't work for that, I'm not a part of this movement, I should be making much less. Um,
2: That is wildly, that is rude as hell. Isn't that rude and really
3: intrusive and also like where's HR? There wasn't HR, but like what's going on here? Like my income is doing business and it was based off the fact that I was managing the entire city and state's overdose prevention program and NARCAN delivery. Um, Mm -hmm. I used to a lot of things. Um, Yeah. And Brandy gave me that position.
2: It really makes you wonder when people behave like that, but they work in harm reduction, if that's why like so many harm reduction movements seem to fail sometimes. Because yeah. of like the people behind it because and it's really sad, but it's like you like you aren't presenting yourself as sort of like a safe person, you know, mm. so it's going to be hard for people to open up to you yeah.
3: surely um there's also just issues like and that was the instance that really, really shook me because the the, the president of the board was there, like she was the interim E D but not really um, very confusing. And I'm not even like saying because I didn't pay attention. Like no one knew what the hell was going on. Um, she just sat there with like her little hands with herself, just like staring drinking tally Pepsi out of a two liter while this other person was screaming at me for a good fifteen minutes and not one person at the table came to my defense. Um, oh my goodness and I'm a sweetie. Like, I'm not a mean person. Like, I don't, it was fucking ag- like aggro about me. Um, so it was just, it was very bizarre and truly like being someone that's a survivor of like emotional, verbal, and physical abuse of a young person. Like it was also super fucking triggering to have someone scream at me and no one come to my defense just like when I was young. Um, and you know, eventually like another position opportunity came up and I bounced, um, but before I did that, I was just noticing that, like, you know, trans or NB folks would come and their pronouns wouldn't even, like, be noticed or acknowledged or, like, ever even asked. And the folks would, like, state, like, hey, I use they, them, I use whatever. And they just get a goofy look. And then, like, five minutes later, we go back to, like, the pronoun they don't identify with.
1: Hmm. Um,
3: people did not use injectable drugs. were not really cared about or given um, any type of support. Um, It was all after the money, right, the syringe access money, which is real, but it became a monopoly of Sierra being an old institution and taking all the money from, like, Swap Chicago and all these smaller movements and, like, honestly the rural movements, which people ignore often, um, which is Mm -hmm. super dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was noticing that, like, sex workers weren't coming back. Um, Trans people didn't come back. Queer people didn't come back. Um, people who used things that were not, you know, opioid-specific um, on purpose were not coming back say sale because, you know, in the States, especially in Chicago, but probably any city, um, there's no such thing as a pure drug. So, no matter what, like, you aren't using your drugs, right? So, even if, like, you think you're taking a roll, or you think you're taking coke, like, you're probably taking multiple things at once.
1: Mm-hmm. So...
3: Entenol can be present, or even caffeine or baking soda, but, like, we don't really know. And that's why testing is important and why everyone needs to get information about preventing overdoses. And if they say they come to you and they're into ketamine, like, you still need to talk about these things because they're probably not just taking
2: ketamine. Right. Exactly. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Um, Yeah. And...
3: Uh, it was just it was really messy, but I noticed people in my community that I identified with or I try to be a comrade to. I say comrade because I hate the word ally for people that are not queer for me. Um so I, I, I say comrade if I should care about them because I feel like ally is just something people point to themselves and it's like, Oh, wonderful, like there's your gold star. Um <laughs> I try to be a community but like I try to be a um collaborative expert for, you know, um it's equity, right? Not even mm-hmm. equality, just equity. Um, so when I bounced, um, I I started to launch this idea, and the idea was stewing for a while. Um, initially, Redux idea my project, was supposed to be a YouTube channel,
1: and really? I wanted to
3: bring yeah, I wanted to bring harm reduction ideas and theories and practices into a sexy space. Mm-hmm. I feel like we see it. It's usually, like, um, it's it's very clean cut. It's very to the point, which is really good in some instances. But if it's new to you, like, that might not be engaging. Like, right, right. A sex worker and, like, I don't want to say like hot, but like I think that I look oh, good yeah. and I'm confident myself. <laughs> I know I'm cute. Um, so like, what if I like busted out the gear, the harness, and what if I made harm reduction sexy? Um, what if I was able to have this conversation with you, um, and use words that you're gonna use? You know, instead of yeah. like I'm bowling, like you know what's going on, you know, and to, to talk about it.
2: And I'm really glad that you said that too, because I always feel like that's one of the biggest um like hurdles when it comes uh from like a, you know, like a 501c3 type position. A lot of people actually mm. have good intentions and they want to help, but because they don't have the lived experiences, they don't have the vocabulary to connect with people. And it's like fine, well, and good to know how to do something with like a textbook approach, but that doesn't mean it's going to resonate <laughs> with your audience or with yeah. your clients. Like you have to be able to talk to people, like meet them where they are, you know? So like, I'm really glad you said that. Cause I, I, so many times people fail at that, and it just – it's very frustrating to me. Like, you have to be able to communicate with the people.
3: Absolutely. And,
2: you know, in the meantime, I love they you said meeting people where they're at
3: because that's, that's one of the big structures of harm reduction. But whether intentful or not, like, there's some deep, deep, deep levels of, like, classism and ableism that come with that too, mm-hmm. right? If you're doing everything from, like – Uh, medical or social worker perspective, like, very to the point and this is what it is, this is what you do next, like, if somebody isn't able to process that um, due to multiple reasons, um, you're really just kind of, like, presenting, like, your privilege over them and hoping for the best that they're going to understand where you're at, when in fact you didn't meet them where they're at in the first place and now Mm -hmm. they're still at risk and at more risk because they might be confused. Yes. Yes. And they mislead the, like, you like, because okay. like, you're they give them a confusing answer.
2: hmm And it also prevents people from wanting to come back. And it's very like that sort of alienation. Just it, it spirals into so many other problems. Often, you know, because it's like okay, now like you already feel alone, and now like the people who are supposed to help you aren't helping you. So now you feel even more alone. And it's just it's it's a vicious cycle. Honestly, I yeah, <laughs> it's bad. It's so
3: it's bad. Very. It's isolating. Also like side note, I hope it's okay that I swear nonstop
2: because it's kind of a thing uh, and I can check No, it's <laughs> totally fine.
3: <And> I, <laughs> I, I apologize I should have apologized in advance. So I just like let's get halfway into this when I'll be like, Is it okay that I keep saying fuck? <laughs> So, um, but yeah, so Redux Daddy is supposed to be like a YouTube channel, and I'm like, I'm going to buy all this junk, and I'm going to buy gear because I wanted it anyway, but now I have a reason to. Um, Uh But, you know, just do people do for each other. I'm like, I need to get a camera. I need to get a green screen, obviously, because, like, who wants to see the back of my apartment? Um, But that wasn't really the point, but I kept putting it on pause, and I think I was doing that because... You know, Swap USA was taking time, which is fine, but that on top of like Chicago Recovery Alliance's um, mm-hmm. pressure, on top of it being COVID and isolated, and just recently had been dumped. I I was done. You know, mm-hmm. um, so it was always on the back burner, but. Um, I, I kind of launched Redux Daddy a little bit before that, but not really, um, but it officially really, really launched after CRA, on um, Chicago, Chicago recovery Alliance um, prior to that i was I went by Redux Daddy, which is a name given to me by um, Bella, who's a, a well known sex worker activist, and mm-hmm. it's cute I was into it um, and I was just giving supplies to people that I knew, you know, like Naloxone or Narcan or a safer snorting kit so we could reduce the risk of transmitting hepatitis C, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, low-key, like, I may have, like, accidentally brought too many of them home from Chicago Recovery Alliance, whatever that might mean. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, I quit. And maybe that happened again. I don't know. Um, But... I was like, well, fuck it. Like, let's just make a Facebook. I already have the Facebook, but I didn't actually do anything with it. Or, like, no one's liking it. So like make a Facebook post. My friend Alex Corona, who's, like, a chosen sister of mine, who I've worked with multiple times on 12 projects, made a mm-hmm. redux go on Canva. And I just launched it. And, like, like I have matching um, spray. It's a the time there's a shortage of naloxone injectable. Um. For, reason that I don't completely understand but it wasn't a scary thing, it was a federal funding thing. Um, like, I have spraying a lot store I have some safer sort thats sets and like I have of experience. Um if you wanna come over, cool. Um, or just send me a message and we'll talk about it. And slowly it started to become a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was just, like, friends or friends of friends. But I just feel like people I didn't even know were finding on Facebook um, and sending me messages. And um, people who have left right, would find me. Or people from different, um friends of friends of friends. Like, I was getting um, festival kids that were going to Lollapalooza that were, like, 19 years old that just wanted to test their shit before they went to Lala mm-hmm. And I was like, sure, come um and it, it evolved into, like, a thing, right, um, where because I'm not a nonprofit, and I have no intention of ever being a nonprofit because I was a nonprofit industrial complex, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is a messy, messy space existence sometimes. There's some good ones, but it's, like, maybe three. Um, because I'm not those things, there are no rules, mm-hmm. right? Like, I can just do it however I want to do it or however I would have wanted to be done for me. So people come over to my house, and they'll bring whatever they're going to use, and we'll get it together. Or if they're uncomfortable with that because they don't really know me and that's real, we'll just use a fentanyl testing strip, and I'll show you how to use it with some salt or baking soda, because having someone actually show you how to use it instead of just telling them quickly on a van is actually a lot easier for many people to retain the information I found. Mm-hmm. Um, and That'd I hate that be um, because, like, then, like, what, they're going to go test when they're high or they're nervous or they're anxious and, like, hope they remember remembered if it's one line or two.
2: Mhm. Yeah, know? no, that, um, that totally makes sense. So then I have to ask now because I'm sure that you hear it all the time because I imagine people are like, well, you're advocating drug use or you're encouraging drug use. How do you respond to them?
3: Um, Well, first, like, what what does that even mean, right? Like, what are we encouraging or not? Like, are you smoking a damn cigarette? Why are you telling me that? How much Starbucks did you have earlier? Um, What did you maybe overeat because you had a shitty day last week? Like, we all do different things to experience some type of pleasure or relief because truly, like, many, many people are being traumatized every day for multiple reasons, from microaggressions to institutional violence. Um, just existing as a person in a marginalized community, um, you've experienced a lot of trauma, boo, and you're still going to. And people heal with that in a lot of different ways. And, you know, when we talk about self-care, it's usually, you know, I don't know, from Self Magazine, and we see, you know, a very skinny white cis woman with beautiful brown hair, doing yoga in a forest with Bambi and some flowers, and that's not (laughs) what self-care. That's Mm -hmm. not accessible. That's not real. Self-care can be taking a nap. It can be doing yoga, and maybe there are some beer, and that's cool. But it can also be, like, smoking a joint. It can be having a drink. Um, It can be taking a nap. It can be cuddling cuddling with your dog. Um, But allowing yourself to experience um, pleasure or relaxation or just an escape is perfectly fine. And people do that in many different ways. Um, and I, I guess I would just argue that, like, who are we to shame somebody? And like, truly, like, why are these things so bad? Are they bad because they're super dangerous? Because I don't know, like, driving... A car isn't necessarily the safest thing, and walking around Chicago isn't either. And I mean that not talking about neighborhoods, but talking about people drive nuts here. And if you cross the street, no matter where you live, you better look both ways because people don't give a fuck, especially the skate busses. They'll hit you. They don't care.
2: Um, they got some- True story. Um, I had a friend from Wisconsin who came to Chicago with me, had never been to a big city before, like rural Wisconsin, um, and literally ran into someone on their bike. And it was hilarious mm-hmm. because she was mortified, like, oh, my God, I can't believe I bumped into you. I'm so sorry, you know, as she was walking as a pedestrian. And the guy on the bike was just mad at her, like, okay, you knocked me over. You apologize. Leave me alone. I have places to go. And she just did not comprehend the situation.
1: <laughs> sorry, I, I just that I that. We're talking I about, like,
2: pedestrians and like, behave on roadways.
1: <laughs> like,
2: I've
3: been there and I knew where you I've definitely been the person, like, drinking, like, I don't know, pothole water and, a Divi rider, which is a rideshare in Chicago, almost hit me. And you always have that five seconds where, you're like, I could check this with your face right now. Like, the back of the helmet, like, you might not even feel it, but I might feel better. And maybe maybe that's my way of dealing with this. Maybe that's my self-care. Um, but, I guess, back to your question. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of different reasons people may use And You know what? Um, I don't really believe in enabling in general. That's that's just my own opinion but people also like harm reduction can also exist for people that have medical necessity so maybe they're prescribed or medication that is technically a quote-unquote narcotic or maybe they're not prescribed it because they're experiencing some kind of classism or racism inside their medical institution and need to find it in different ways Mm -hmm. Um, those are the reasons people may use Um, I also I just want to really highlight pleasure because Sometimes that's ignored in these conversations, and I think it's a critical piece. We can talk about trauma all day, but Mm -hmm. it's okay to have an experience by yourself or with somebody else, Um, and that could be taking some mushrooms, or that could be having some vodka, or that could be taking some molly. Um, If that's building, like, a good connection that feels good, um, what's wrong with that as long as you're practicing harm reduction and being safe? Like, the the war on drugs is based off of really just policing and, you know, imprisoning black people. Like, we don't say people of color, but it's mostly black people. Um, Mm -hmm. It's rape bullshit. Like, this this is not a real thing. What is a real thing is absolutely the drug supply is completely tainted because of the war on drugs, which is why fentanyl is Thing because people are just trying to make it so people get high and they can sell something that kind of works. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're able you know, um, to criminalize things, um, it would look a lot different. Um, and one of the really key points I'm talking about, like, my push or my idealism of decriminalization and not legalization because those, those are not the same thing um, and in sex work and in drug use. I think that decrim is really the way to go and we've seen a lot of the movements of people that actually are part of these communities or people that are connected to them recognizing that like the issues are much more complicated and when we legalize things like we're still siloing access um, and mm-hmm. we're still criminalizing some people so we need to just erase that abortion and look at decriminalization
2: Yes. That's something that comes up all the time, um, especially when we talk about decriminalizing sex work is everyone always has this idea that like, but just legalize it, then it'll be safer. And like people do not realize yeah. that when you legalize something there that by definition, if there's a legal way to do it, that also means there's an illegal way to do it. So someone will always end up in that illegal category and end up being punished and penalized for that. And it's like, people really don't get that. Um, that the way Laws are implemented, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, Um, but laws and policies, the way they're implemented, it's never possible for everyone to always um, do that legally, like with whatever the legal parameters are. There's always a reason someone can't do that, and that person is then at risk. And I think that people who are obsessed with the idea of legalizing instead of decriminalizing really haven't thought about that or what the implications of that look like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. Because I see it all the time with sex work. We're like, well, just legalize it, just legalize it. And it's like, okay. You know, people are like, oh, we should do, like, uh, uh, Amsterdam, have the red light district. And it's like, okay, what if you can't afford to live in a red light district and you still need to work? Should right. you be arrested? Because now you're working like, illegally. Like, what are we doing? Like,
3: like, you know, we're talking about, like, things like the Nordic model. Like, what good things just come from, like, Nordic things? Like, what we got Bjork, and she made, like, three good albums. And, like, Ben like got just to artsy, at least for me. Like, I can't name other great things that came, for so their models modeled off these and stuck with other things. So it's not going to work for sex work either.
2: Yeah, though, wild to me how people say the Nordic model is fine because sex workers don't get arrested, which they do. But, um, mm-hmm. like, the idea that everything's fine as long as you aren't being arrested, like, completely ignoring, like, you're still being surveilled by police. Police mm-hmm. will still get you evicted because they'll threaten to arrest your landlord for, like, pimping. You know, if, uh, mm-hmm. by, uh, by allowing you to rent there because you're using the proceeds of prostitution money to, you know, pay your rent or whatever the fuck the law says, you know, but all that type mm-hmm. of shit. And people really like, but if you don't go to jail, it's not a big deal. And it's like you still get called to court. You still get subpoenaed because your clients are still criminals. Police still have mm-hmm. a right to follow you around and surveil you because, again, your clients are criminals, even though you're technically not doing anything illegal under that model. Your clients are. So you still have the police harassment. You still have, um, you know. Like, uh, you know, child services will still be at your door because you're still considered to be a bad parent. If you do sex work, you still can't, you know, um, you know, live with other adults because they will also be charged with, you know, the living off proceeds of uh, money from prostitution and all that sort of stuff. And people really don't take that into account. All they're focused on is but but they're not getting arrested. It's fine. Like sex workers get deported all the time from Nordic countries. Like, how is being deported Mm -hmm. not a punishment? What the fuck are you talking about? But people really still are on this whole, like, no, as long as you don't get arrested, it's fine. Like, no, it's still not fine.
3: (laughs) I mean, you know, and it's really loaded, too, because, like, well, like, okay, so maybe, like, obviously, like, politicians find, like, if they're even into the idea of any type of sex work advocacy, like legalization is obviously the palatable version. But, like, who in, like, the sex worker sphere or umbrella are the people that are pro-legalization? You know, it's usually people with a lot of privilege, folks that are not doing street-based work, folks not in survival sex work. Um, you know, it really upholds the hierarchy.
2: Mm-hmm. It does. I hate
3: it. Yeah, <laughs> I being like well, if we do legalization, like, how is that going to impact in any way the constant battle that sex workers and sex worker advocacy have in their the war that they're feeling against, like, the fucking um, trafficking movement, you know?
2: hmm
3: Like, does uh, that look like? Oh, you know? they're monsters,
2: yeah. so. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. With all these. Have you seen all the um, ID laws they're proposing to watch porn online I, now? It's
1: ridiculous. all a fucking
2: mess. Oh, it, my God. I, can't, I hate that. it. I absolutely hate it. It's terrible. Uh, and, the yeah, like, I just, yeah. And I think that's a big part of it, too, is a lot of people, um you know, they have a very, like, knee-jerk reaction where you hear, like, oh, sex trafficking, that's terrible. End that. We should stop that. And, of course, that's, like, a perfectly natural human reaction, but when you look into the policies that are actually being implemented, they're not reducing trafficking. They're just increasing police budgets, (laughs) you know? Like, Mm. they're not actually helping people, and I think that's a big part of the problem um, is that because it is, like, the the news stories – are coming with quotes from, you know, like police and politicians and, you know, uh, advocates who are, uh, you know, these anti-trafficking advocates, but they don't really talk about like the details of how to actually help people who have been in a trafficking situation. They don't actually talk Mm -hmm. about um, what resources are needed. It's just arrest more people, arrest more people, give the police more money and arrest more people. That's always the solution. And that doesn't work. It really doesn't. even like ignoring the fact honestly
3: frequently people that have survived being trafficked end up being arrested anyway in the end. Yes. Like what the so fuck? But we is don't that? want to talk about young people that maybe were trafficked usually don't even get the mental health support that they deserve. So like there's the a small percentage of like traffic victims survivors that do exist compared to what like conflicted and conflated data we may be seeing from, like, advocates that are going to, of course, use policy numbers in their favor, which is always skewed because we all do it to some degree. when We're doing policy. It's always going to be in our favor. Um, it's it's just, it's messy, and it's horrible, and, like, truly, nobody wins except for the foundations and nonprofits, again, the nonprofit industrial complex, to keep running their bullshit. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's absolutely true. It's never been about the people. Um, Um, No one cares about the survivors. Like, of course, like, maybe the frontline staff do. Like, I I always want to, like, have the best feelings for them. But, like, truly, the EDs, the managers, the board, they know
2: what they're doing. Mm Mm-hmm. They do. They have to. They want to keep, honestly. Like, there's just too much. um... Yeah, because it's been going on for so long. Like, we're seeing the the consequences of these policies. Like, it's undeniable, you know? But, and like we all um, know that like, the laws that have passed federally like
3: do not benefit people that have been trafficked. Like it's it's clear, you know. And I, I think also like you know specifically like the closing of Backpage, right? And like how Backpage was like support investigations that were like trying to save people being trafficked, and then like that resource was gone, which was probably the most honest resource that existed in the first place. Yeah, um, but like. But the cutting of Backpage is one thing, but just, I don't know. It's it's so frustrating. I had a point, but of course it went away.
2: (laughs) That was totally fine. And it is frustrating. I think the biggest thing with Backpage for me personally is how many people still don't know that Backpage was actually, like, getting awards from the FBI because of how they handled, like, suspected cases of trafficking on their website. And then they basically got punished for it. And then long-term, You know, what does that say to corporations, like a company who actually did try to do the right thing and mitigate harm, got punished for it. So what's the incentive of reporting if you think someone's being trafficked on your site? And now we're in this like weird place with like, you know, I just, I, it's so frustrating.
3: One thing that, like, I, I I realized what I was going to say is, you know, you're talking about, like, people not understanding and not, not me not understanding, but not even reading policy. And we do, we're, we're in a culture right now, and I'm not talking about, like, young people specific because that's adult is. It's just a general culture of most people, many people. Um, that, like, we don't fully read news articles. And, like, when we do, it might be a biased article, but we live in, like, a Twitter slash just reading the headline um, world right now. I'm guilty of it, too. I'm not going to pretend I'm not. I'll absolutely reshare something on Facebook that I did not read. You know, that's how I let everyone know that Rihanna was going to do the Super Bowl. I didn't read if it was a real article. I just knew it was happening. It's true. So, um, right. Um, I say that to say that, like, most people are in a position of not even knowing what policy is, mm-hmm. right? Or, like, and, like, the reality is also talking about access. Like, most policy is not accessible. Um, when I did disability work, I was managing organizers and policy analysts. And, like, cause I knew 30% of what they were talking about sometimes, it's not easy. Um, <laughs> so policy not- this being plain language, on top of that being something you can easily find if you don't know how to, on top of the fact that actual policies is not being quoted or used in news articles, it's just um, the bare minimum or quotes from mm-hmm. people that benefit going in their direction, which um, just kind of means that nobody's truly informed of what's going on.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think that um, what adds to that is the fact that the headlines are almost always like, um, police friendly, you know,
1: mm-hmm. uh, yeah. like
2: that does not help the situation. Like I see it all the time. Well, there was just the situation in Texas. But one of the big ones that I always see people talking about and sharing uncritically are stories where the headline is, you know, like, 25 people arrested in human trafficking thing. And like, mm-hmm. All people see is that headline and they're like, oh, they arrested 25 traffickers or they arrested 25 right. people who were looking to, um, you know, to to rape a trafficked person, basically. Let's just be honest about what that is. Right. Um, you know what I mean? So, like, that's like this assumption yeah. that, like, we're arresting, like, you know, like, what was like the Taken movie, right? Where it's like, oh, there's just like these, these girls tied to a bed and there's just these men coming in and, like, they arrested 25 of those men. Like, no, that's not what happened at all. Like when they say they arrested right. 25 people in the human trafficking scene, most likely what happened is they arrested 25 sex workers who now have additional right. charges for other things. Or maybe right. like half sex workers, half clients, but the, even the clients, they were not specifically looking for someone who was underage or specifically looking for someone who was trafficked. They responded to what they assumed was um, an ad posted by someone's free will, you know. So that's part of it. And then when it comes to the sex workers, like people don't realize that a lot of times uh, when sex workers get arrested in those busts, that people uh, they end up getting like drug charges and shit like that, or maybe they have outstanding warrants. And now they're never getting out of the prison industrial complex, you know, Um, even if they aren't actually in like a physical cell, it's just like, now you have the record, you have the arrest record, you might have to do some jail time, and it's just, it's so hard to get out from under that. And people don't think about that because all they saw was the headline that 25 people got arrested in a sex trafficking sting. And it's like, that's not, that's not what's actually happening here. And I wish I could convey that to more people.
3: It's just like the layers, too, like, you, you know, you had brought that up, and I want to piggyback of, like, well, what happens when you're arrested? What happens Do you get charged or you take a plea deal? You know, like okay, like you got a misdemeanor, like if you to forsake, like I have, like if you have a felony, you have full disclosure. I have two, and they're for stealing stuff because I was on the streets when my parents kicked me out for being a fag. Sorry, I use the word bag to describe myself, not other people. Um, my parents kicked me out for that. I needed to do it. I needed to do to survive. And was it the best choice in the world? No, but was it the most successful choice? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but you. Know, now I'm 37 and their class one's in Illinois because it was technically burglary because it was inside a house. Um, mm-hmm. So those are hard to get rid of when it's that level. Um, and I already have privilege. Like, I'm a white person. I'm a cis man. I have disabilities but they're invisible so I can pass. Um, mm-hmm. I have a degree. I didn't get it until five years ago but I still have one. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have things or if things were different for me. Like, on top of having two felonies, like, fuck, if you're going to get an apartment, like, you're exactly. going to get a job, good luck. Who's going to hire you? Um, on top mm-hmm. of the fact you can't show up for employment because you're in county jail for three months at least, you know, because exactly. we all know that the speedy, speedy trial is not a real thing. Because maybe mm-hmm. the trial will be, but the process to get to the trial is not a speedy thing.
2: Right, absolutely, so know
3: no. a landlord can look into, on top of the fact they don't want you because they've decided you're a criminal or it's an insurance thing, or, you know, they, have, they don't want to hear you story because you're not a person you're just a, a dangerous individual to them um mm-hmm. you know, folks existing in the sex trade be that something for survivalism or choice which also exists um we're fucked especially if you end up with that traffic in charge you know then you're fucked fucked mm-hmm.
2: yeah and uh, it's, it's- no no that's I'm, I'm glad that you said that because i think people really need to know i don't think that they've really contemplated what happens after the headline you know it's like yeah. oh I, I all the headline a good thing happened i don't have to think about it anymore and it's like no you really do need to think about it what happened to everybody involved mm-hmm. who got to go home and who didn't who got a permanent <laughs> record and who didn't like you know
3: right and the barriers are going to come with that permanent record like it's not just housing like you know something like Well, like, you know, go get a different job, do something different, like maybe for multiple reasons. They may say to the person, well, they're limited now. There's a lot of licensing programs you can't take now. You can't even be a CNA in some states. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like CNA is not a good job. It's absolutely a very good job, but um, it it can be on a lower tier of like certificates compared to like a master's degree where it can be more accessible and there's grants for that, et cetera, et cetera. that's not an option for you anymore, like you can't do that. Um, there's many things you can't do. Um, so, of course, like, well, what the hell else are you going to do? You have bills to pay. You have mouths to feed. You have yourself to care for. You might just have to go back to sex work because there's no more options for you now. And then you're going to h- get another rec- off charge. You're going to be shamed more for being a sex worker in the first place. So, of course, we're always in danger. Of course, there's mental health issues with us all the time because you know why there's so much damn SI in the world for sex workers? Because there's nothing else. There's, there's often very little help beyond our own community because we we have few allies including the harm reduction community which needs to be held accountable for not centering sex workers often and usually leaving us behind and then wanting to say something after laws like process assessor are held and having us be like you know on a little panel i may or may not have been on where we want to be highlighted after y'all fucked us over by not helping us in the first place and then not doing anything afterwards sorry she's heated Hello. I cannot hear you all of a sudden. Can you hear me? I, I'm going to call you all right back because something went on. I, it's, the phone's still connected. Right, I'm back sorry about that I was like either y'all are stunned by my brilliance or you're like all right whatever bye right, I'm still not hearing anything so I'm gonna put my headphones on and see that okay got it um, Oh, Check. I hear you now. I hear you now. Okay. I hear you.
0: you. Can
2: you hear me? No.
3: Yes. It's it's faint, but I hear you. Strange.
2: It sounds strange, like it's like really low audio.
3: Um. It sounds a little robotic, but I can understand you. Oh, is that that's the um? That that's probably the VoIP, the Voice over Internet Protocol. Uh, what about, is this also robot-like? No, you're very clear to me. But this microphone is robot-like? The one you're speaking of right now is very clear. Okay, this is this microphone is clear. Okay, speak
2: okay. loud. All right, Correct. now, can you hear me now?
3: Yes, you're perfect. You
2: okay. <sighs> that was wild. I'm sorry. Yeah, <sighs> you're good. <It's> <laughs> It's a rough tech day. <sighs>
1: you know what? Hey.
3: Can't we just go back to like hanging out and like I don't know, having conversations in person? I don't really want to do that. do not leave my house, but phone calls and, VR and
2: whatever that was. I don't know. I tell you. Um, but yes, we were saying. I think we were talking about. I don't know where where did we leave off. I can't.
3: I went on a tangent, and I don't know when I stopped because neurodivergence, but I got my point across. I know that, but I don't know what your thoughts were after that.
1: Um, I think I was just very much, uh, it was
2: snap all around. I was agreeing with your point. Um, Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. (laughs) There
3: was silence, and I was like, great. I said something totally off, and I need to check myself.
2: I'll call them
3: later. I was like, like, they're not even saying anything to me anymore.
2: No, 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 no. It's not that at all. Not it was it was strictly the audio failing on me. <laughs> it was not disagreement. But um okay, as we were talking about harm reduction, um, can you offer up some tips for harm reduction and drug use for folks who may not know?
3: Absolutely. Can, should we just finish what Redux Daddy is really quickly? Is what? Should we should we finish what Redux Daddy is very quickly? Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. So I can kind of speed it up a little bit. Um, so, again, we just became a More and more people learned about it. Um, and now I'm in a really cool place where I
2: created we'll on relationships. Wait. Can you hold on for one second until the sirens are gone? Yes. Wait, did they mute or did the sirens
0: mute? I think he muted.
2: He, yeah. Definitely.
3: Yeah. Okay. All right, it's
2: gone, right? I can still hear Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I have
2: voice-canceled headphones, so... Yeah, it's that bes- yeah,
0: the...
3: Pirates bes- are showing up in the wave file. Okay, I'm sorry. No, it's fine.
2: Good. I think... It's gone now, I think. And
3: I have, like... I have voice-canceled okay. headphones on, so, like, I kind of heard it. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, so redox Daddy became, you know, it became a thing, and I started to build partnerships with different organizations that I appreciated but I didn't work for. So, mm-hmm. T-Pan, Chicago House, and Live um, Pro Lally, which are all Illinois-based, Live Lally being really suburban-based, are different harm reduction or HIV service organization in around the general area, um, and they provided similar services that I did do, but they still have the limitations of like government funding and having to report demographics which can be really scary if like you know you exist in the sex worker trade or you news um, for many different reasons, um, where well, I don't have to do that um, and they kind of start individuals or as organizations that I knew or appreciated what I was doing, and basically just came to me and were like, hey, like, do you need help. And I was like, I don't want help, but I do want stuff. Right? Mm-hmm. I need
1: dark iron.
3: I need, I need um, plastic straws, which sounds cheap, but when you need 800 of them, it's not. Um, and also when you don't, you know, you're paying out of pocket, it's not cheap. Um, so they, all of them started to support me in different ways with different supplies, Um, with Chicago House really being the main hub of who's helping me out the most, Um, and the other two coming up when there's no other options, which I definitely appreciate. Um, And I just have to request for them, because what I'm doing is not stuff that they can do. I reach people that they can't reach, because I am a sex worker. I do use. um, I'm open about that. Um, and people appreciate that, but also I can do things they can't do. Like, no one's going to bring their baggie to Chicago House and Health Services and be like, hey, can you fentanyl test this for me? They're going to be told to please leave. Um, I don't necessarily like that, but I also get you don't want to shut your doors. But they know mm-hmm. that I can do that. Um, right. Because you're coming to my apartment or I'm going to yours. Um, so they're acknowledging that, like, I have access because I don't have the ties. Um, I'm just mm-hmm. a person who gives a shit, doesn't want people to die in my community. Um, and also feel affirmed and loved. Um, so it, it's just evolved into that. And folks have noticed, like I've been in Rebellious Magazine, I've been in Block Club Chicago just talking about my work. Um, and it's been super exciting. I can share those links with you too if you want to share them. Um, yes, Thank you. And, it's just it's rolling it's rolling out um i have a working document now that's public um that folks who just learn about me and learn about what i do and learn about the access and my philosophies behind all of this i'm very open about who i am also in terms of like communities i'm a part of but also like areas of privilege right Um, and i do have allies and volunteers who work with me of different identities and different backgrounds and i'm absolutely at a point where I can own my shit and be like, hey, like, if it makes you uncomfortable to, like, get services or be really honest and feel safe with, like, a cis white
1: dude, Mm -hmm. I'll
3: absolutely get somebody who looks like you or has experiences that you've had similarly Mm -hmm. um, who's a a comrade of Redux Daddy to do it on my behalf or through the the supplies I have. Because I'm not here to, like, be your savior or be captain save a hoe because we don't need saving uh, we need policies that support us but um what we really need is folks be validated and be seen and be heard and also feel as safe as they possibly can and i can't always be that person and i own that so mm-hmm. i will provide you the best alternative i possibly can and keep seeking ways to do that i My services can come in many different languages. I know a lot of people that speak a lot of languages that love this work, that understand it fully, um, fluently. Um, And I I really just appreciate where this is going, especially because Chicago is really multicultural. You're going to find everything here. Um, I might not be able to match all that perfectly, but I'm going to try Um, to the best I can for folks that come to me, because really I define this mostly for queer and trans folks, but Obviously, like, I'm also disabled, like, so I try to cater to disability folks who usually are cut off from access anyway. Or just, like, seen as people that, like, can't make their own choices or, you know, let's just, like, do inspiration porn around them and not see them as real people. And, in fact, like, they may use, too. They may party or they may want to go fuck. Um, so they mm-hmm. should access to condoms and sexual health education as well um, because all that usually to be pretty straight-based or, you know, cis-based. Um, or, you know, monogamous based, which is all problematic in my opinion. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, 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 built into a thing and it's a fun thing. and It's also an exhaustive thing. Um, at the same time, um, I've been able to like really, um, take care of this baby in my own way, um, the past couple months for reasons I'm very proud of and very ashamed of at the same time. Um. When I left nonprofit, I was laid off in March of last year. Um, the nonprofit kind of sunk shortly afterwards, not because I left. I don't want to pretend I'm something amazing. Just they had a lot of struggles. Um, mm-hmm. And at that point, I was super burnt out and really over the nonprofit industrial complex. Um, I was there's some days I was working 17 hours a day, and I'm not being cute or exaggerating. And like literally 17 hours. Yep. And <laughs> It was a great position, and I made really good money. I made really good money, like someone that was eating, you know, literally crackers off a dumpster when I was seventeen. Like I was doing really good, but Mm -hmm. I didn't give a shit. I didn't want to go back to nonprofit. I, I could be a director or something, and I, I don't want to do that ever again. Uh, I still want Redux Dating to exist, which it can because it's not a nonprofit. But I also always wanted to do queer nightlife because it always sounded fun. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I decided not to apply for a job in nonprofit. And I just walked to, like, a bar that's a couple blocks from me called Touché, which is the oldest leather bar still operating in Chicago. Um, I interviewed, and I got hired a couple – a week later. It wasn't my favorite place. It's pretty cis and white-based, but, like, I still need a job. The industry is mm-hmm. not easy to get into. I'm pushing 40. Like, you know, like, B bars want, like, younger people, and I get that. Um, I don't like it, but I get it. But Touche didn't really give a shit, so whatever, it's a foot in the door. Um, there are some on and off moments in it, but I went pretty far pretty fast. Um, it's, a room, it's a bar that also has a club room, which is where people can have sex and enjoy themselves or, you know, a lawyer or be an exhibitionist, which is cool. It's also nice because I'm onyx. Midwest is what had a club there, and that's a specific club for um, black men and people of color um, who um, exist in the realm of, like, leather queer culture and cute queer culture. Um, they also had a night that was for women, trans, and non-binary folks, which was also one of my favorite nights. Um, but in November 1st um, of last year, 2022, they had their 40th anniversary party,
1: mm-hmm. and
3: it was a goddamn disaster. Um, mm-hmm. I started my shift at like 10 o'clock. The party started at 6, but it was a VIP party at the beginning, Um, and I had a hint of what was coming um, because a friend kind of passed around the flyer. I had access to the flyer, I'm not going to lie, but when you work in nightlife, you're not looking over the flyer, you're just throwing it out. seeing what day you have to work and what time you have to come in. There was a, a questionable puppet on the volunteer. If you if you open it, the volunteer, the flyer, if you open it, because a puppeteer is coming, which is very strange for a gay bar that does sex, but that's another story. Um, but it's a white man, and, you know, he had, like, a Twinkie puppet, and he had a nun puppet, then he had a black woman puppet. Um, so I felt like something may be happening. I told my roommate, who's my ex, who's one of my best friends, um, and i told my chosen father um and i went to work and my chosen father is a person of color and he's like you know i'm not going to go i don't want to deal with this
1: mm-hmm. and i'm walking
3: to work and he texted me he's like oh babe i'm on my i'm on my way i'll see you soon and i was like weird but okay like <laughs> you know i was like, you just said you're not going to go but cool like I'll co- okay, mm-hmm. you know give you my work discount or whatever um you know just get back in my head we'll see until god knows what because i love how season is on my way to work to pop myself up and I get there and I go downstairs to change and the puppeteer's there and immediately, like, I just hate him because I, I just, I, it's just icky. Like whatever, whoever you are, whatever this is, you know, if you're not doing this routine. Like you've done something that I find questionable. So mm-hmm. uh, immediately giving him like, you know, the resting bitch face kind that a thousand, um, not even resting, the aggro one. Um, I go to work, we switch shifts um the party's still going and like, I kind of assumed the puppet thing was already done. I th- I assumed it was like a VIP thing. Because, again, I didn't know the schedule. I just sort of sell you all drinks and, like, flirt with you. Mm-hmm. And the puppeteer comes on. And he immediately pulls out the blackface puppet, whose name was Sister Girl. And oh. he starts talking in a accent that he felt like black women talked like.
1: Ooh, and we
3: followed. Yeah, and everybody from Onyx, the black and people of color, um, collective in Chicago and the Midwest, they all walk out. Um mm-hmm. Miguel Torres, who is international Mr. Leather's representative for Chicago, who is a Latino man, um, walks out and he's a friend of mine. Um, a lot of Onyx was too and I'm like, this is being really not okay. Let me just see what's going on. <laughs> you know, let me just like space mm-hmm. this out because I also don't have another job and I have to pay rent, I have to survive. Um, and I do do sex work, but sometimes I does not pay the bills. I live in a big city. with a lot of competition. Um, and the puppet show keeps going and it's just it's getting progressively worse. Um, he, at one point, raised the puppet skirt to show up, you know, her genitals and oh my starts God. making fun of awful or no, it's awful. And I hate saying this. I hope I'm not like creating like trauma by saying this, but like people need to know that this happened.
2: Yeah, I people, I, too, I, didn't, so. I didn't know that part, honestly, so I'm actually glad I know that yeah, like, yeah.
3: Um, compared like her pubic hair to a brillo pad, um, started naming her children, which were named things like Clorox or whatever, and Ooh. the audience at this point is mostly older white gay men in leather, and they're fucking laughing, and um, the the manager, David Boyer. Um, is also laughing, and he's someone who I really disliked even before that. He's a very aggressive, rude, old, old guard leather man. Um,
1: mm-hmm. So he
3: didn't really like the women trans women and all that shit. He just liked that it brought money. Um, and I texted my roommate, and I was like, "Look, I need to go." And he, they're like, "Okay." Like, I was like, "Can you help me?" I was like, "This is how much money I have in my bank account, and I don't know what I'm going to do after this." Um, and they're like, sorry, like emotionally. He's like, well, if you need to leave, leave. So I was like, okay. So I texted my dad, my chosen dad. And I was like, he was in another part of the bar where the event was not taking place. It was like the back room. And I was like, hey, come close your credit card. I need to go.
1: Hmm. So he yeah. did.
3: Um, he left. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, I grabbed my shit. Um, I went downstairs to where like the office was. I took my keys and I literally just threw them on the computer Um, and I went out the side door behind where my manager was and left the building. Um, And some people have been like, well, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you stop it? And, like, I'm not butch, and I'm not tall, and I'm not that – I'm not small, but I'm I'm sick. I'm, like, I'm I'm not someone that can do very much. And we're Mm -hmm. talking about, like, 80 people in a room who have money, are older, and cis, and – I'll apparently find stuff like this hilarious, um, and also like there were very clear jokes about like raping women and whatnot too that were happening. So, oh also being a goodness. sexual assault survivor, I didn't feel safe anymore. Um, yeah, uh,
2: like I walked...
3: I, yeah. Go ahead.
2: The more I find out, the more I really like changing some opinions of people who were like it wasn't that bad, because like it's mm-hmm. actually worse than I even imagined.
3: Wow. It's awful. Um, it's so bad, and. And this is why I love children's family so much. It was, you know, I talked about how my father left. and purposely not using his name. Um, sorry. Um, I walk out of the bar. The bar back follows me out, who is also, like, not a white person. He's very young. He was, like, 22. He's, like, where are you going? He's, like, are you going to go smoke? And I was, like, no, I'm leaving. And he's, like, well, we need to, like, the thing is still happening. You're on the ship till four. And I was, like. Do you see what's happening? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, this is literally like blackface. It's a white man having a black woman puppet with huge, stupid lips that no one could possibly have on it, um, showing off her vagina, making jokes about her pubic hair, and, like, raping her. Like, what the fuck? Like, how can you not see? This is horrible. Um, and I walked away, and, of course, I was like, oh, great. Like, this is going to be a panic attack because, like, I don't know who's going to follow me on the bar, I don't know if I'm safe. I don't know how to pay rent for a couple of weeks. Um, and my chosen dad, like, was, like, standing, like, half a block away, like, just waiting for me. He was like, you know, like, he's, like, I got you. Like, we went to a bar next door. He got me drunk. And it was actually the first time he ever told me he loved me. It was hard. Which, like, was a big deal because, like, my my, my bio family doesn't really do that. I've like, they, they put me on the streets, so obviously. They don't give a fuck. But it really meant a lot to me. Um, and what happened afterward was just a lot and since is, you know i I made a public facebook post um I'm pretty popular on social media um and I told people to tag people um and it tagged and it went viral um, It was also a public post which I never did before that point um, and it it went around and even though people were told not to record the puppet show, some white comrades i'll use that word that's not my space to say that i will say it a sexual assault survivor mm-hmm. recorded the show you know they were told not to and posted it on twitter so people could see what's happening including an incident where there was a person called a heckler quote unquote was also a white person was like hey it's 2022 like these jokes are actually really fucked up and not funny
1: um, mm-hmm. and then
3: the puppeteer was like everyone boo this man if you think he's wrong most of the crowd did and then the man was kicked out from the bar um, that's all on Twitter, too. If anyone wants to look it up, just look up Touche's Puppet 45th Anniversary. Um, I will say it's really traumatizing to see all the jokes. I mean, they're incredibly mm-hmm. offensive. Um, so if, if you need to see it, do. If you are anyway somebody who doesn't need to be traumatized or is easily triggered, and I don't use the word triggered lightly, like it is extremely triggering. If you are from... Mm-hmm. You know, a queer community, I would assume black or person of color, if you're a woman, if you're a sexual assault survivor, like, it's not easy to watch, um, especially to see people cheering and laughing on who are also part of another um, marginalized community to some degree. You know, it's Mm -hmm. very hard to watch. Um, It went viral. And, you know, the next week was nothing but, like, newspapers contacting me and then being Wrapped up in social media in a way that I never anticipated,
1: um, mm-hmm.
3: and I'm nosy, so like, of course, like, you know, George talks is posting it, ABC Seven is posting it, but then like, Advocate Magazine, which is national, is posting it, and then mm-hmm. newspapers in other countries are posting it, and of course, I'm going to every post and reading every single goddamn co- um, comment, <laughs> um, which was, and sometimes a great idea and sometimes an awful idea because. People have a lot to say about people they don't know, especially if they didn't read the whole thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that, that got to me. Um, um, specifically, also, there was one bar in Chicago that's relatively popular that I'm just not going to name because I don't need that, but they are really up my ass, like, in a, a, a seemingly good way. Like, mm-hmm. oh, like, you should come to us. Like, we're opening a new space. They, open, they have several spaces. We don't do this, blah, blah, blah. Like, Every time I post them publicly, they're commenting. So I was like, oh, cool, an opportunity. Um, and then the dust settled, and I applied, and it was a weird response. And then I finally interviewed, and, like, I got a really weird way of them just saying, no. Um, it was just like, hey, we're not going to go with you. Merry Christmas. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool.
1: Um
3: so I come to the conclusion at this point, and I'm assuming, but I don't think it's hard to come to this conclusion, that like they're really doing this for clout and for customers, and really to take like ally and black and brown and femme money um, mm-hmm. to to say like this is the better space, but actually like if you do do this stuff like fuck you, we don't want you to start shit in our series
0: mm-hmm. you know,
3: because. Right. I've been told like, you know, like you're you're too radical, you're too loud, like of course we agree with you, but like no one should actually go to that level, you know? Which what level did I go to? I made a Facebook post that was public and said, Don't be racist, fuck you, how dare you? I'm out. It's literally like a nutshell what I said. In Tag the bar. Um, but I haven't been able to get a full time job since, um,
1: mm. in the bar
3: industry. Um, I have applied, I've had interviews and Literally, like, interviews that go really well. And I have mental health stuff. So, like, I have gone to many interviews that I probably did really good in and that I got these good jobs with nonprofit before, quote, unquote, their jobs. And I still thought the interview was awful. But, like, the, some of these interviews I've done since in the industry, like, I was like, oh, this is really good. And then, like, they never contact me again. Like, even when they say they're going to, like, send you an email, even yes or no, like, there's nothing, and some of them were like through social media, and like I can see you saw my message following up, and you like you still didn't even say hey no, you know. Right. Um, I will say though, there is a group called Organized Grind that throws parties in Chicago, and the guy that runs it, Ryan Willing, um, he's one of the first people to reach out to me. Um, they only throw like they don't have a home; they just kind of go to different bars nationally, but most in Chicago, and throw kinky queer. Um, sex positive parties it's really good house music um,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and he's just like hey you know I know this all just happened but like do you want to host an event for us as a guest this weekend and I was like eh you know I really need to make money I don't have a way of making money now like fuck it like let's do it um, and I did a pretty good job and he's kind of took me under his wing since and I've been hosting events for him and guest bartending since a couple times a month
1: um, Yeah,
3: and kind of come into my own
1: you know, mm-hmm. it's like
3: I'd never hosted an event before this, and so now I love it. Um, and I really appreciate working for a space where like our flyer like literally says like, hey, if you do any of these isms, like you're going to be kicked the fuck out and you can't come back. Yeah. Um, which is <laughs> the complete opposite of where I came um, from. You know, so,
2: I don't want to like cut you off, but we've been recording for over an hour.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, that's <laughs>
2: No, it's totally fine. Is there anything that you wanted to, like, touch on before we... Back to harm reduction, back to the whole point of this conversation.
3: Um, all this is related, but, you know, the point, the point. Um, harm reduction isn't just a philosophy, but it's kind of a way of living. So, like, we can we can apply it to anything. Um, really, it's, you know... Knowing the risks of the different things you're doing, knowing alternatives to doing those things, which can be anything from not doing it to how do you do it safer. And the way I look at that is like, okay, like I'm going to go get like, they don't exist anymore, but they're wonderful. when they did the supersized meal at McDonald's with the big-ass fries and the huge drink, which they didn't make anymore, which is awful. Um, but you know what? Like I have high blood pressure. Like maybe I'll get the kids meal. Maybe I'll get a salad. Maybe I'll get the medium. Maybe I'll make something at home. Um, knowing that all these different options exist, um, and then choosing what makes the most sense for me at that moment. And that could be the supersized meal. maybe that's what I want, maybe that's what I need right now. Um, and right. me as your ally or your harm reduction support peer advocate uh, is just going to be like, hey, like, I do you these different options to think about whatever you choose, great, um, and we'll go from there. And if you need support in the future, come to me, and we have this conversation. And in drug mm-hmm. use, um, that's Narcan, that's um, safer, snorting kits, um, that's fentanyl testing strips and sex and sex workers, condoms. It's also safety planning. So, you know, if you're a sex worker and um, you're doing street things, like, boo, like, make sure you can run in your shoes if you've got to run. Like, let's have real conversations about shit. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Make a community. Check in with each other. Uh, yeah, bad datelines aren't supposed to exist anymore, but they might somewhere. I um, mean, if you can find one, like, utilize that and contribute to it, too, if you need to or if you're unfortunately in that place where you have to you know uh, and really that's harm reduction is building a community um, and like I said like you can apply it to different parts of life like when it comes to food and recognizing that that's all it is is providing someone with options to make a choice um, an educated informed choice of how they want to proceed in any activity be it maybe their self care of going to the forest and doing their yoga with the damn or the birds or it could be like you know what like I'm going to take this pill. Um, I bought it from the street. It's a Zanax. It could have fentanyl in it. You know what, though? I I just got these strips from Redux Daddy, so I'm going to test it and show me how to do this. And maybe it will be positive for fentanyl, Um, but I'm I'm okay with that. But I'm going to show my friend how to use Narcan just in case it is.
2: Right. No, that totally makes sense. And I I really do love that approach. It just seems so much more... um effective and efficient, you know,
1: to give mm-hmm. people
2: options and like, let them make an informed option. Um, you know, because I, I, I feel like a lot of times people are stuck on the sort of like abstinence only idea or that harm, harm reduction isn't useful because it doesn't do enough. But I think harm reduction is fantastic. Uh, because I find that other methods for trying to address some of these issues are too rigid. And it ultimately ends up excluding people because there's not enough space well, like I said, you know, to meet people where they're at. And when that doesn't happen, you know, all of a sudden it's harder and harder to um, find people who are willing to come to you for resources because they know that your methods don't work, you know? And I, I feel like that's Absolutely. Um, a big part of the conversation and why like harm reduction is so important in terms of just giving those options, you know?
3: Yeah. And, you know, just a very, very quick last box. So I you know we got to go. Um, harm reduction is also like being realistic so, like, yeah. if I don't use and I'm supporting you or I don't use that thing, the reality is, like, whether you tell me or not or whether I give you options or not, if I tell you not to use or I say it's just dangerous to so that you end the conversation, you might still fucking use it anyway because that's what you know and that's where you're at. Exactly. So, for me to not take the responsibility as your ally or your community member to be like, okay, cool, like, here are some options to maybe engage if that's safer, do what you need to do, like, that's the realistic approach instead of being like, oh, don't do that
2: you know, which is gonna put shame
3: on that person. They're probably not going to seek support from you in the future anyway.
2: Exactly. No, I agree. percent. So let's just 100.
3: practice love. Let's be community. Let's practice love. Let's support each other. That's, that's what we need to be doing. Not shaming and stigmatizing people.
2: I love it. I love it. Um, do you want to drop anything about where people can find you? Well,
3: everyone can find me online. Um, <laughs> I, I exist online and I exist in Chicago. Uh, Facebook.com slash ReduxDaddy is the main space. I have an Instagram. I've posted twice on it. I don't know if I have a Twitter. Um, I use Twitter mostly to post my porn. Um, let's be real. But, you know, I have Facebook, also ReduxDaddy, which is R-E-D-U-X-D-A-D-D-Y at gmail.com. Um, my services are primarily for people in Chicago. Um, Mostly north side, but I'll figure it out if you're out on the north side. Um, my house is not accessible. If you're a chair user or stairs don't work for you, I can meet you somewhere else. I've done it on the street,
1: um, and I'll
3: do it in someone else's house if that's what it has to be or find someone that can. Um, my website that I share, which is really just a link that I'm going to give you all, has my information, my story, and also how to stop an overdose. If you don't want to talk to me, you can just read that um, or how to inter- try to intervene with one. Um, all these things exist. They're all options. Um, check it out. And also, like, I'm fun and I'm funny. And if you, like, you get something from me in person, I'm probably going to give you candy. And there's probably going to be stickers. And if you come to my house and you like dogs, I have a 90-pound pit bull named Bajo, who thinks everybody's amazing. And he thinks he's four pounds. And if you're afraid of dogs, he'll beat us crate. And if you're not, he's going to be on top of you in the cutest way. But also, also, yeah. so my hugs, the dogs love all that. My, do- my, my dogs, the hugs, all that, like. If you want it and you ask for it, you can absolutely have it. If you don't, cool, I respect that. Let's just do what you need to do. Um, but, yeah, find me online. Um, hit me up. If you're not in Chicago, I can help you find resources where you're at, or we could just safety plan online. That's cool, too. I have a messenger open on my Facebook, too, so you can just direct message me.
2: Yeah, so are you going to um, put videos on YouTube? Because that would be awesome and amazing, and you should do it. <sighs> I mean,
3: I don't know. People want to, like, buy me a green screen and, like, you know, I'll send my wish list of, like, gear that I want, you know, not that I have, like, 50 harnesses or any because I worked at a queer bar and I need to sex sell. Uh, um, But, you know, I'm kidding. Uh, I might one day. I've been talking about collaborating with some people. Also, a fun note, I might field this at some point really quickly because though I don't want to be a nonprofit, um, I have considered recently um, fiscal sponsorship from a nonprofit um which would allow me to have a couple more options without having like that demographic crap um and specifically working with people that use or our sex workers are in good community with them like folks involved like hips bc um aids united not saying those are the spaces but folks are giving resources that are associated with these spaces um so if i ever do do fiscal sponsorship like it's not going to be this huge thing where I am now them and they're now me and we're sharing all these things. I I need to do it. I need to do the same way I've been doing it. But if I have more funds to do it better, um, amazing, wonderful. That's great because I don't have a job. I don't have money. So every, like, I'm giving you the art that I'm getting for free. Um, so if I have more ways to provide more options to you all, I want to. That's what I want to do. Also, like, there's a wish list. Like, if you don't use or you do use or you do, do these things or you do access, like, you can buy stuff, that I, I will give it to the community. Um, or there's also, you know, um, on the website, the Google Doc, there's ways to donate financially. Or just spread the word or volunteer or whatever you want to do. Um, any way you want to support me, great. And the movement, great. Or any way I can support you, also amazing. We'll find the middle ground. And also very clear, though, that if you're on any of the isms, bullshit, whatever it may be, I might not be the one for you. I will still give you a resource for who to go to. It might be Chicago Recovery Alliance, but I'm not the one for you. Um, so we can have that very direct referral, but me actually really, truly supporting and building that relationship, um, that's not going to happen in my home because um, I don't tolerate racism, transphobia, um, xenophobia, none of that bullshit comes into the house. So mm-hmm, just a note. Yes. i so sorry. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it, and please keep me updated. I want to know how you're doing because honestly, this whole project sounds amazing, and I am absolutely hoping for the best for you because this is a service that we definitely need. And I love the way that you're approaching it.
3: Thank you so much. I will drop you the links to some of the work, the articles, and you all can share it any way you possibly can with Swap USA or the podcast or however it's disseminated.
1: Um, hello.
3: Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. I um, Could you uh, confirm your pronouns for me, please? Sure. Um, I say he, him, his, but
2: any of ones you have been respectful are okay.
3: All right. Thank you. You're welcome.
2: Awesome. All right. So we're going to cut it off. Right. Thank you so much for coming on and stay in touch. And seriously, let me know how it goes, because fingers crossed for this whole operation.
3: Thank you. It's so good to hear your voice. You all take care, okay?
2: Let's take care. Bye, babe.
1: All right. Bye.